Our topic today is EFIS wish list. Tell me what that means. So this um, really circles back to the idea of um, poking our, our customers a little bit and saying, you know, forget about what you have right now. What do you wish you had? And so this really relates to the old joke about the guy looking under the streetlight. You know, he's looking around for his keys and the passerby comes up and says, hey, what are you doing looking around? He's, he's rooting around in the grass underneath the spotlight. Well, I lost my keys. I'm looking for my keys. And the passerby says, well, are you sure you lost them there? And he says, no, actually, I lost them over there in the parking lot, but this is where there's light. <laughs> and so that obviously relates to our situation and our, our client situation. Sometimes scientists measure the things they can measure. And that's not surprising. You hear a lot about sort of the work and the stress involved of setting up a new lab. And when you're in that mode, it's really hard to go out and bring in techniques that are untested and unreliable. Um, what people really want is they want to focus on the things that they can do with some degree of confidence. And so there's this tension between looking at where the light's shining and where you know you can already look and asking the really hard questions that sort of bring you out into the dark areas. And so what we're really doing in this first topic area is we're trying to ask people, let's forget about where the light's shining right now and the tools that you already have. What are the questions that you wish you could ask? Where do you wish you could go? And where would you look you know, if you had the right kinds of tools to do that? I think for, for me, uh, the, 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 the main technological thing that I want to establish is to record as many uh, cells as possible from a small piece of the brain. If I can record and manipulate 100% uh, of the cells, I don't want any pharmacology, I don't want any mm. cellular, I don't want any uh, neurochemical leveling. I don't need any more. My, my, my efforts technologically right now are to get to, to, and this is actually something that I'm doing in partly with you, uh, is to maximize the, 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 the fraction of neurons that we're able to monitor from a small piece of the brain. So that was interesting, but Carrie Hoffman also wants more neurons, but with a twist. Yeah, so here's what you're never going to hear anyone say. You're never going to hear anyone say, if I could record from a whole bunch of neurons and that's it, all my dreams would come true. There's always really important details that go with that. And what Carrie highlights here is the detail of awakened behaving animals. We're kind of taking the best of both worlds of the technologies that allow you to look at what groups of neurons are doing with each other in vivo in a real whole embedded network that is the brain in action. So the, the, the ultimate would be to understand this in the context of, of a monkey that's learning about their environment. So more neurons, more neurons in realistic behaving preps. And what else did we hear? I mean, chemosensing generally, what we call chemosensing is something that we as a company have been interested in and working on for a long time. And... Uh, Adrian speaks really convincingly about how novel it would be to be able to make that measurement. One idea that I'm really interested in is to the possibility of monitoring neuromodulation while doing electrophysiology. And, um, and I see, so the, this tool does not exist 
yet. However, it seems to me that it's not totally impossible. Uh, one of, you know, another grandmother uh, in the field, uh, Eve Mother, uh, she's, you know, she has done amazing work in system neuroscience. Uh, I mean, it's so inspirational. And, and, she's, and she's said, you know, this thing over and over. Even if you know exactly all the neurons in your system, even if you know exactly uh, the connectivity between these neurons, you will be absolutely incapable of uh, predicting the dynamics of this you know, population. Because this, the dynamics of this population intrinsically uh, depend on neuromodulation. And changing actually some the concentration of some neuromodulators, you can actually totally change the way a neuronal population is activated. You know the way activity uh, activity will yes. propagate in this network. Yep. Yep. And 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 if we and, and to me this is absolutely key. So the way we're doing it now, and and this is what I've been doing, you know, like for my entire scientific career, is to say, well. You, well, you can you can manipulate uh, neuromodulation in the brain and see actually how it affects you know what you record. Sure, I've never really done it myself, but you can do it. The, my approach is more like well, let's record uh, across different brain states because we know different brain states like active wakefulness, drowsiness, uh, uh, rapid eye movement sleep, non-rapid eye movement sleep. They are all associated with different levels of neuromodulation. So we're we're studying actually the role of neuromodulation in um. In population coding, you know, in, a, in 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 brain dynamics, in an indirect way, you say, well, knowing what neuromodulation is in these different states, and, and and knowing what we actually see in the neuronal population, we know how neuromodulation may affect the dynamics of our neurons. However, we don't have a direct uh, proof of that. And to me, this is what we should actually now focus our effort on. It's really understanding the relationship between these two. There are many different things, uh, of course, uh, that could we, we could think of, but I think this this is one key. Listening to Adrian makes me think we should look at optical measurements for neuromodulation measurements and, and neuromodulator levels generally. Um, there are certainly any way of making a measurement. There are advantages and disadvantages, and usually one size doesn't fit all. You often have to come at things from a few different angles. But he makes a really good point that the, the, the field of optics and optical sensing has come a long way, and it's come a long way since we started our chemosensing program. And I think we're going to take a hard look at whether there are other ways to do what we are committed to doing well. So I want to go back and hear a little bit more from Aaron Stark, because I know um, he had some great answers for you, and a couple of them surprised you. Uh, two things. His desire to do intracellular recording in awakened behaving animals, mm -hmm. which I understand why it's important and it's really hard. So that was surprising just to sort of be forced to think about that as a possibility. And very few people have been able to do that successfully. What, what I uh, am, uh, 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 the next thing that I would like to, to in include um, is perhaps, uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, to record uh, um, perhaps intracellularly uh, during uh, the, the behavioral, uh, so that, that would be the next thing that I want to, to add. And then the second thing, he had some really interesting sort of broad thoughts about what he calls outsourcing. And what he was really getting at there was, what's the function of an academic lab? And what can we actually try to leave to someone else and get help from someone else to do? So I think that the, every part 
of the work in, the, in, 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 a, in a multidisciplinary lab can benefit from some type of uh, outsourcing or external support. Uh, and, and if uh, uh, all of these parts would be available, then every lab uh, or PI could choose whether uh, um, to outsource everything except for the conceptualization. Uh, uh, and then uh, uh, the job of the PhD student would be similar to a grant writer. Uh, I'm conceptualizing the, 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 the questions and then I outsource everything uh, or to outsource uh, parts of it. Uh, if if people if labs could have instead of a probe in a package they could have a probe on a micro drive with uh, 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 ready for implementation that would uh, uh, short down procedures if they could have uh, a magic uh, uh, um, hat like the, the crown that we build on the animals uh, that uh, they could uh, uh, um, let's say take an MRI scan of or a CT scan of the animal, and then they could send it somewhere and get a, a, a 3D printed uh, hat, and uh, uh, um, the, the, uh, the implantation procedure would be straightforward or, or easier, uh, and they could combine that component with the, the, the probe that they would order under a different order. That would be a second step. And the third step would be to, to be able to say, okay, I have this kind of a question, uh, uh, can you uh, data mine it for me? Yes, uh, this is uh, much harder for uh, to 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 outsource right now, perhaps, and it might need uh, uh, many more uh, partitioning into steps. But uh, I think this is another thing that uh, could help. So, what other unmet needs did you discover when you asked about this, this wish list? So one area that has been kind of an unfolding surprise over the past year since we started working in Carrie's lab has been the need to access deep brain structures and especially in primates. So I don't think though we really appreciated how much sort of pent up demand there is for the ability to interface with, to record and stimulate deep brain structures. And Nowhere is this as important. You know, a primate's head is much bigger. It's more human-like and bigger than a little tiny mouse or uh, rat head. And so people have been getting away with recording hippocampus and other things in rodents with sort of our standard probes. And when you move to primates, deep really does mean deep. You know, these are really deep structures. And Kerry makes the point that to a large extent, especially in awakened behaving primates, primates that are freely moving in their environment, we've really only been recording at the surface, you know, the so-called cortex, um, because of the limitations in available hardware and the difficulty and the lack of good tools to get deep brain structures in those kind of environments. And so that's been not just this conversation that we had with her today, but generally a recurring theme with Carrie, how, how big of an unmet need that is and how desperately she wants those tools. We have an idea for some of the cognitive functions um, and behaviors that, uh, that, that areas of the brain that are right under the top surface of the skull might be doing, like um, in parietal cortex, motor cortex, somatosensory, and frontal areas. But these are areas and their interconnections that we understand best in large animals because of technological limitations. And right now in the field, I think we're very much searching under the street light. 
you have, you know, you collect up in a very confined set of circumstances, you try to make it as similar as possible, and you kind of collect up single units, you hope they're single units. And there are, it's not just a matter of quantity. There are qualitatively different things that we have the ability to evaluate. They may or may not be important, but at least we can evaluate the extent to which this ensemble of neural activity is important in the cognitive processes that we're interested in. So there you have it, the, the street lamp story that you started this whole episode off with. What, what can we do about it? Well, I think it's also really important to remember that not only are we trying to give new tools to look outside of that lighted area, but we're trying to do it in a way that's practical for scaling up. And whether that means scaling up to new labs, whether that means more numbers for existing labs, or whether that means getting into pharma, um, that's really an important constraint on those new tools. And so I think next time maybe we'll talk about that scaling issue and how to, how to get people uh, more repeatable and reliable tests. All right. Well, look forward to episode two of Probing Questions with Brian Jameson, Scaling. Thank you.